pick up at verse 36 since we spent quite a bit of time on 32 through 35 already. Uh, Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now we're not going to spend time finding examples for each one of these these guys here. But just to take a look at what we have, for the most part, these are not things leading to death. So when it says still others, it's actually using the word there for others of a different kind. The other ones were um, ones that were made valiant in battle and overcame death, and some of them uh, had just uh, been spoken of who had who had died, but still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. So they were mocked, they were beaten or scourged, they were in chains and imprisonments, but of those ones, it doesn't say anybody died. Now the next one, they were stoned, well... You pretty much are dead on that one. That's the whole idea of the of the stoning. They were sawn in two. Now that just sounds like a terrible thing, but this is what they sometimes had done. I'm told from some of the things I read on this that they actually did it with a wooden saw. I don't know if a metal one is any better, but <laughs> my, that. Uh, that was something with with all that. Now, the uh, the stone and the stone and so on and two. Jeremiah was threatened by priests and prophets who di- didn't like the word that he was teaching because, of course, it was different from theirs. And he was later imprisoned and beaten by King Zedekiah. Uriah he was a contemporary of Jeremiah, and he was executed by King Jehoiakim. Isaiah he's the one who's reported to have been sawn in two. When he was, when he was killed. And I'm sure that they do that in the most painful way possible. Just amazing what people can, can do. But then he goes on, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. Now the word here for, for tempted is uh, probably a play on words because it is pirazo which means to test, scrutinize, entice, examine, prove, or to try. Uh, the sawn in two is a word that is very similar in Greek spelling, even though it's not in English. It's very similar in Greek spell- spelling. It is uh, uh, prizo. Prizo. i got to put a D in there. I keep forgetting that. Um, I didn't convert my thing over to, to Greek, and English doesn't put a D in there. But... Uh, if you look on the the actual Greek, we'll put an, an E in front of there, so it'd be ep, epizo. But um, most of your Greek things you're going to be looking at are just going to use the word prizo for for that. But it's very similar. I think I had to take it out of your outline. But you see these the spelling P E I R A Z O. The uh, other word is P R I Z O. So it seems to be very similar. It may have been just a little play on words that he uh, the writer there was doing. But in Matthew 4, in verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's the same word that is being used. And so you get the idea of the, of the tempted, that there's a testing, there's a, a trying that had gone on there. Uh, they were slain with the sword. 
Elijah says, he confirms this in 1 Kings 19 and verse 10, that Israel had slain many prophets with the sword. Remember, I alone and left. <laughs> so with the sword that had cut up a lot of the prophets before. Wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, afflicted and tormented. So apparently they went about without things. Now, uh, John seems to have chosen that lifestyle, but the, the context here seems to be that some people didn't necessarily choose it, but they were forced into it because they weren't in a place where they could get the comfortable clothing. So you had to wear the uncomfortable stuff, the, whatever you could kill out there in the wilderness, which I guess is sheepskins and goatskins. I've never worn either one, but I'm told that it's of all the clothing they had available to them, that was the, that was less comfortable. So they were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. So all these things were going on with these, with these saints, with these believers. But then we come to verse 38. This is a fun verse right here. Of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy of these particular people. Now he spent all this time showing that the world did not think they were worthy. They, they saw themselves as being over and above. That these guys, they were, uh, they were no good. They, um, they, they preached to God that they didn't like. Whatever it was, they, they didn't want these guys around, so they were killing them. They were cutting them up, sawing them in two, tormenting them, putting them in prison. All these things that they were doing to them because they did not see that these people who served God were worthy of this world. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, we're, we have this written, that they were not worthy the, they, they, the world was not worthy of them. And so they were taken away. The world was not worthy of them. Of whom the world was not worthy. So the world showed themselves that they were not worthy because of the way that they acted. And we still see a lot of people acting like that even today to where when people make a stand for the things of the word, well, they come under scrutiny, they come under torment, they become tested and and all sorts of things that are that uh, that go on this way. We've seen many person in the body of Christ who gets on TV and they interview, and all of a sudden the things that the Word of God says are wrong. Or, well, I don't know if that's wrong or not. They come under that test and they're um, they, they back down. But these guys, people that are that are spoken up here, they didn't back down. They stayed with it, and so the world didn't like them because of these things that they they stood for. And we know for some of them that the world tried to kill them and they failed. They escaped the sword, but other ones they succeeded. But God is saying these people that are here, that are in this category, the world's not worthy of them. So I did a little study on this word worthy. And uh, I didn't pull out all of the references for the word worthy, but I pulled out a number of them. And this, these are pretty much uh, uh, a lot of the things in the gospel. You'll see the same story use the same word. So I didn't bother pulling out the extra ones here. But the word means to be deserving, comparable, or suitable. And I did not pull these. I thought I had pulled these all, all out. Can you pull up Matthew 22, verse verse 1? This is the, the one I wanted to start off with. Take a look at this because this is, this is one of the best ones here. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in five parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. You all remember the story of the marriage feast? 
and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. Now hold on for that right there for just a minute. They made light of it. They made light of it. Now, I remember in the Word of God, it talks about a particular uh, a verse of Scripture where uh, those uh, who don't honor the things of God will be lightly esteemed. This is what they're, they're, they're lightly esteeming, the invitation. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. So they did not see this invitation to come as an honor. They saw it as a bother. Well, why do I have to go to that? Verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Now, it's hard to imagine that someone is trying to invite you out to a feast and uh, and you'd beat them up for it. But this is really what ha- what is going on. God has invited people to a feast. Some people just don't don't want to hear the invitation. And they don't really bother with it. But when he keeps sending the prophets and the and the preachers and the so forth to come on out and tell them, hey, come on along. Uh, well, they sometimes get beat up. And they, because they, no, we don't want to come. And the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Boy, that time is coming, isn't it? And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Now hold up right there for a minute. Were they worthy to be invited? They were worthy to be invited, weren't they? Because they were invited. And even when they first didn't come, they could come on. Look at, look at what we have out there. We got some good stuff out there on the, on the table. We, we made this all here just for you. <laughs> but it says that, that he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited, were not worthy. So they were worthy for the invite. But then after the invitation, because of the way they treated the invitation, it made them unworthy. They became unworthy. Let's keep on reading. Let's just finish this, this parable up. Go right on through, four, through 14. So verse 9. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Now, we're going out to the highways. Where, is, is there anything that would qualify the people on the highways as being worthy? No. They're standing in society. How much money they got. What they would bring as a gift for the wedding if, they, if such a thing was going to happen. None of that was a, a qualifier. Let's just go out there and get some people and bring them on in. So the thing that would make them worthy is if they accepted the invitation and came. Going to verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. So being bad didn't disqualify you. And being good didn't qualify you. They just went out there and gathered all that they could. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Hmm. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. 
And the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. All right, there's a whole lot more we can get in there than just, just this. But apparently, once you had the invitation and coming, it was expected that you would dress for the wedding. Now, I don't know that they had to have one, but maybe when you came in, they were they were very likely giving out the, the wedding garments for you to put on, and one decided out, don't want to wear that. He had to do something that was different from everybody else because there's only one person he found in this group. And so he was okay to get the invitation. He was okay to, to come to the wedding, but then once he was in there, he didn't make the adequate preparations, put on the garment, so he was he was cast out. But you can see how uh, people became unworthy because of how they treated the invitation. Go back in, go back to eleven thirty eight. Of whom the world was not worthy. Now think about this. God originally took these people and sent them into the world. He gave them a commission, gave them a call. But then somewhere along the, the line, the world became unworthy of these particular people. Let's go on to um, Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. For bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So bear fruits worthy of repentance. There's our word again. 15 verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servants. I am no longer worthy. Here we have this word again. He was worthy. But then he became unworthy. Let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 46. I'm going to skip Revelation 3, 4. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, I judge and judge yourselves unworthy. They judge themselves unworthy. Of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, notice I put this in your, your outline for you to fill in. But it does not say the world is unworthy of believers but it is unworthy of them. What what he is saying here in this particular verse, of whom, who is the, who is the of whom? These examples he's been giving us. It's not all believers. It's the ones he's speaking about here. The ones who have come through all these particular trials and tests and, and so forth, of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy. So that's the question I put up there on Facebook if you're up there. Have we become unworthy yet? Or are we still worthy of the world? Are we viewed by God as still worthy of this world? Because you don't, just because you are a believer does not mean that you are unworthy of this world or that the world is unworthy of you. That's not what it means. Because a certain group of people here in Hebrews that are being spoken of these were the ones that God says, you know what? You don't think that they're worthy, that you're worthy. Uh, you think you're above them. But what it, what it is, is you guys are not worthy of them and I'm going to pull them out. And so some of them he allowed to, to be martyred and to be killed because they were not judged. The world was not judged as worthy of keeping these guys. So I wonder, are, uh, are we walking in such a way as to become unworthy of the world. In God's eyes, not ours. In God's eyes. Now I know most of us don't want to be in the world. We'd much rather be in heaven. That seems like a much more uh, exciting place to be. 
But just because we're a believer doesn't mean that that's, that's going on. Alright, let's go on here. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. They wandered around. Now, some of them had homes, but some of them didn't. They wandered. Verse 39, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They did not receive the promise. Now, I did some study on this word, receive. I'll tell you what, we may do, may do this. I know there's so much to be a Sunday Sunday project, but maybe one, uh, we, we couldn't do it in one Wednesday. Maybe we do it over a couple of Wednesday nights. We do a study on the word receive. Because as I'm looking this up, and I put this in your outline for you, the word receive in the New Testament, our word receive comes from, well, let me put it, let me put it to you this way. How many words are there in the Greek New Testament for love? There's four. I believe in the Greek there's actually five. But there's four that are used in the, in the New Testament. I think that's what it is. It's three and there's four. There's one more word to have than's used in the New Testament. We know that there's three different words they have for life. How many words do you think they have for receive? The number you'll want to write in there is 19. 19 different words for receive. Now, 15 of these words come from two roots. 15 come from two main roots, lambano and decomai. Lambano and decomai. There's a lot of prefixes they put in front that change the, the type of thing that is, is there, but that's where most of them come from. Outside of that, there's four remaining. So beside the 15 that come from Lambano and Decomai, and it's split right in half. Seven come from Lambano and eight come from Decomai. But uh, of that, the, the four remaining, this one particular word is used 11 times. 11 times for receive. So what I did was I wanted to, to spend some time researching this particular word to get a handle on it because no one really... Uh, uh, broke down that I could find anyway. I mean, I went through all of Rick Venner's stuff. I should, surely Brother Rick is going to go through it. He didn't go through it at all. You have to write him about that and say, hey, do, do something on this. So we're going to spend some little bit of time taking a look at, at the references that are here. But let me give you some of the other words that are, that are here. See, this intrigues you a little bit on the word receive. Um, of the, of the four remaining, we, we're going to get into this one here, but one of them is Koreo. Koreo, which means to receive by making room in something. So when it says, uh, open your hearts, there's a receiving by me making room for something. That Greek has a whole word for that. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Open your hearts to us. And here's another one. Mark chapter 2, verse 2. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. See, the receiving is based on making making room. There's another another word, lancano, which means to receive by lot. Cast lots for something, and then you receive it based on that. But let's take a look at this particular word that we have. In Matthew 25, verse 27, So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. 
So that's one of the first places that you see this word being used here when uh, when Jesus spoke about it. In Luke chapter 7, verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, whom she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought, that's our word there, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now we need to get into the whole story so we understand why this particular word is, is being used. And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both, telling me, uh, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss me, to kiss my feet since I came, since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. All right, keep that story in mind. We're going to come back to I want to read all of our word study here first. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. So we're all going to be appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is one of those favorite verses of everyone, right? <laughs> we're all going to get there and, and uh, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Ephesians 6 and verse 8, knowing that whoever, uh, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same. Colossians 3 and verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. Hebrews 10, 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Hebrews 11, verse 19, and concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. First Peter 1, 9, receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. First Peter 5, 1 through 4, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I whom am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4, here's where we see it. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. You will receive the wages of unrighteousness. 
All right, that's, that's a good sampling of all the 11 times that it's being used. There are more times than what we just covered, but most of those other times are repeats of the others. In the Gospels, the same word is used a couple of times in the same story. Didn't need to go over all those. So the word for receive here seems to denote that which comes back to you from something sown. And each of the other words for receive has a different meaning. The lambanos, the decomais, so forth. So if we, we uh, keep that in mind, the first verse we looked at, Matthew 25, verse 27, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would receive back my own with interest. So you put money in the bank and then you come back to get what you put in the bank plus something. Isn't that what we do? We'll come back to Luke chapter 7 here in a, in a minute. We'll leave that one for, for last. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. So when we're down here on the earth, we do some things so that when we get up in the judgment seat of Christ, we receive back what we have sown, what we have, have put out, put forth. Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Colossians 3, 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. Hebrews 10, 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you have done the will of God. I have sown something in there first and then I receive back based on what I have sown. Hebrews 11 verse 19 concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Concluding that God was able talking about Abraham concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead as he goes and he sows his son in this sacrifice he will receive back. 1 Peter 1.9 Receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. Same concept. I receive the end of my my faith goes out first and then I receive the end of my faith. 1 Peter 5 1-4 Let's go over the fourth, fourth verse. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory. He is speaking Peter is speaking to those who were who were elders who were pastors who were in ministry. That when you have shepherded the flock of God, acted as overseers, done so in a good way, then at the end, you will receive the crown of glory. So there was the sowing first and then the receiving. 2 Peter 2 verse 13. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. So there are wages of unrighteousness. And after all those wages are sown, what happens? We receive. Hit our last one here. Luke chapter 7. Verse 37. And behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house brought. She provided. She brought this in. An alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now look how Jesus puts this here. 
You did not, in verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Did she not first act and then receive? All right. So that's a, that's really covering every instance of when this word is used outside of the times when it's repeated. So let's go back here to the, to the text and take a look at it again. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They did not receive it. So they, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, they obtained a good testimony through faith, but there was a promise and they didn't receive it. And it uses this particular word. Now why not use one of the other words? Because every time this word is used in the New Testament, and I'm, I'm told as I was doing some research on this particular word, that this word was used more extensively before the time of the New Testament. But by the time the New Testament was written, this word had fallen out of use in the Greek language. It's the New Testament writers that kept it going. And every time we see the New Testament writers use this, and we've had a number of different authors, it isn't just the same author, they're using it in this, in this context. I have put something here, therefore I've received something back. Except here. Here, these people put something in, but they did not receive anything back. Hmm. But the, but it was expected that they would, didn't it? And after all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Well, they didn't receive it yet. It is coming. It just hadn't come yet. But the promise of what God has said is on its way. But by the time they died, that promise had not come. But the word here for receive is that which is received because I have put things out there expecting to receive just like you put money in a bank expecting to receive interest. I do particular works in the Spirit because I expected the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to get these particular rewards. I stay away from flesh, flesh acts so that these particular things don't, don't happen, don't come my way. So the word for receive seems to denote that which comes back to you from something sown. Let's pick up at verse 40. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect. I should have put the, both of my verses right together here. I want to read them. And all these, we're speaking about these particular ones that he's talked about in the chapter. May not have mentioned all their names, but he mentioned some of the things that they did. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith. So they got the good testimony because of their faith. Did not receive the promise and then it's going to 40. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. <laughs> it took me a long time reading this thing over. What in the world is going on here? And um, I had forgotten something. He wasn't very very much helpful. But all this time going through here, I forgot that Brother Weist actually covered 
the book of Hebrews is one of the ones that he actually broke down. I said, oh, look at that. I haven't been <laughs> checking him out. I just read some of the translation that he's got on every once in a while. But I broke him out on this and he wasn't all that helpful. <laughs> so it didn't help me out a whole lot to, to begin with. But God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So the promise is not coming yet because they they laid an example. They have an example of how faith was to be used, how we could obtain things through faith, how we could believe, even not seeing it, we could still put our faith out there and, and receive that. And now, in our day, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us, which was not done on, in their day. And we've got to take their example of faith and mix it with this example of the Holy Spirit being upon us. And we should be able to take this to a higher place than they did. And when we do, read that verse again, God having provided something better for us than what they had, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So they did not come to the place of perfection until we come into that place of perfection. And when we come into that place of perfection, we actually complete them and bring them into that perfection with us. That's a body right there. When it talks about Jesus Christ coming back for his body, perf- perfect, we still tend to look at the body as in, well, we still have all these marks and all these things going on. But God is looking at a collective whole in that this group that is here now, going on with what the group did before, when you all combine that together, you will actually bring those saints in the Old Testament into a place of perfection as well as yourselves. So their example laid a groundwork for us and us picking up that example, we take it into a place of perfection. They, they left a wonderful example for us. Did astounding things in the area of faith. And we are to take their examples and take what it is that they did with the combination of the Holy Spirit who now resides on the inside of us, enlightens us, shows us things about the Word of God that they did not know. We can take it to new heights. And because of what they did, they launch us into a place of, 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 of perfection. And we bring them along in, in it with us, according to Hebrews. And that's when, go on to verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, just to, just to look ahead. 12 and verse 1. Just to look at it. I'm not going to get into it here, but I just want you to, to, to read it and to see. Because then you understand that verse is a little difficult to understand when you just read it by itself. But when you read it with uh, 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, they laid an example for us. They gave us a place. They made it possible for us to go into a place of perfection that they couldn't get into but their example of faith combined with that Holy Spirit presence that is put on us of a, a better promises, a better sacrifice. All the things that, are, that the writer of Hebrews has been saying is better. This is better. This is better. This is better. So much better than what was there that we can take what they did and launch it into a new, a new, a new place. So we wrap this up here with this one. Are you still worthy of this world? Are you still worthy? What does one have to do to become unworthy 
of this world in God's eyes. What do we have to do to become unworthy of this world in God's eyes? Because I think in God's eyes, I want to be looked at. I want God to say, you know what? He is not worthy of this world. <laughs> this world is not worthy of him, I should say. This, this world is, is, we need to pull, we need to pull that one out. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, you get those examples, you know, little children die or, or somebody comes into a tragedy and they want to say, you know, that, well, God needed them more than we did. And, you know, the ridiculous stuff that people throw out to try and make themselves feel better. But in these particular ones, we're not looking at children dying. We're looking at saints who lived for the gospel and were killed and lost their life uh, for it. And, and why didn't God spare them? I mean, some of them he did. Some of them got spared, but other ones they, they did not. And we look, well, why couldn't God do that? And God's looking at it this way and says, you guys, you're not worthy of this one. They have come to a place that you're just, you're not worthy of them. I don't think this, this world was worthy of Jesus. What do you, what do you think? And then he died on the cross. We weren't worthy. We, we were not in a way that the, we were worthy of, of him, but he still came. So even though the scripture says that the world was not worthy of them, God still sent them. God still called them. God still put a direction for them to go and they still went in that direction. But not everybody fulfilled their call to such a degree that God was able to say, ha, ah, they have now gotten to a place and the world is not worthy of them. So what are the things that we have to do to get ourselves to that place? I don't know if we can make a total exhaustive list, but if we just look at some of the things that had gone on, these people were not moved by the things the world threw at them. They did not compromise what the Word of God said because of what the world was saying was acceptable. They went into lion's dens and fiery furnaces to stand up for the things of God because they were not going to back down or to give in. They faced persecution and, and jail and torments being cut in two. Because they did not want desire to compromise or to leave what God said was, was to be done. Now, a lot of times, people come under persecution, they back down. We haven't gotten to that place yet where we are unworthy of this world. Or this world is unworthy of us. But we can be. I think that's got to be the goal of every Christian. That God would look upon me and say, the world is not worthy of this one. Now, it doesn't mean just because the word, you became unworthy of the world that God just pulls you out. <laughs> because I'm sure Elijah was living in such a way he was unworthy, that the world was unworthy of him. But he still stayed. He was still here. Now, he's ready to go at one point. He's ready to, to depart. I'm sure Moses was a person who was living in such a, a level that the world was not worthy of him. But he still stayed. He still continued on. And I'm sure that example was going on with, with many others. And God left them. He left people in this world that the world was not worthy of. 
But the world looks at it like they're not worthy of us. They're not worthy to be here. We want to get rid of you. We want to exterminate you. I like to look for who are the people that make the world the maddest. The most worldly bunch I know of is the press. Who are the people that the press hates the most? Because whoever it is that the press hates the most is probably the ones that ought to be on our radar as worthy. But you see, a lot of Christians, when the press doesn't like somebody and they promote uh, nasty things about them, I get amazed at how much of the church buys into it and decides I'm not going to like this one because of all these things I hear. We shouldn't be doing it. But I tell you what, we should not be listening to an ungodly press. They are the most ungodly press. They just get more and more ungodly. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing it. But they're the most ungodly ones I know, but you can find people still in, in the church. <laughs> not as bad as they used to be, it seems, but it, boy, I tell you what, in some of those dark ages, the, the church was more corrupt than the, than the world was. Well, who did they not like? And we saw different, different groups that the church then persecuted. And I, I know that sometimes we, we looked at, looked at those and say, well, they were no good. They were heretics because the people wrote about them and told us they were heretics. Well, no. Ungodly people told you that they were heretics. That probably means they were okay. <laughs> Doesn't mean they were, they were wrong at all. The world and anyone who is associated with it cannot stand the light of the gospel and will do everything it can to extinguish it. I need to be able to live unafraid to where when I stand up to the face of all the things that the world wants to, to say, all the things the world wants to do to intimidate, to try and get me to back down from my stand on the word of God. I say, no, I am not going to back down. I'm going to keep on going with the things that God has told me to go. I don't care what you do to me. And you, like in the case with Daniel and his buddies, play the music all you want to. I'm not bowing. You're not bowing down. And our God is well able to deliver us from your fiery furnace, O King. I think sometimes the church today has a little too much respect for the things of the world. Too much respect for those people that are in the world. Too much care about what their opinion is. If we're not making the world mad, we're probably not living the right, the right way. So I, I think I'm going to write this down as a, as a new goal. <laughs> to live my life, to get to the point where God says, the world is not worthy of me staying. That's what I want to do. But if I keep adapting to and hanging on to the things of the world, now I've got to get rid of those sins that so easily have beset us, as the Word says, that I seem to be ensnared by. Now we've got to get rid of those things. Don't be hanging on to the world. As uh, Paul wrote about the, a good soldier, a good soldier is not entangled in the affairs of, of the world. He only cares about the things that a soldier needs to be cared about. Only things about the, what the commander has said. This is how you, how you need to live. This is what you need to do. We each have to evaluate our own life and figure out our own, own way. But on all the examples that he has given us, 
of people here in Hebrews chapter 11. How worthy am I of this world? Have I gotten to a place that I'm unworthy? Kind of seems funny to hear that your faith can make you unworthy for something. That's really what he is saying here in this, this chapter of Hebrews. That the faith that these guys had made them unworthy. That made the world unworthy of them. Father, we want to live our lives in such a way that we are more like you than we are the world. That this world is not worthy of us being here. And of all the examples we have when that word worthy was being used, especially that one in the feast, people were invited, but what made them unworthy was how they treated that invitation. How they scoffed at it or made light of it, didn't esteem it very highly. Father, I thank you that you speak to us about what things we need to change, what things we need to do, where we need to grow so that we can be looked at by you as being one of those that you said the world is not worthy of you. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.